0: Hey everybody, my name is Matt McNeil, and with me today I have Zach Connor. And this is the beginning of an exploration into chiropractic philosophy for chiropractic students. We, I want to provide my fellow students with a pathway to the chiropractic philosophy that has really grounded and focused my chiropractic journey. For me, I really think that we have such a beautiful art that we offer for people, and it's driven by a beautiful philosophy. And we also have a beautiful science behind what we do as chiropractors. This past year has been a challenging year as a chiropractic student. Because I looked around and I saw many people who were not living up to the principle, maybe. And that is not even a judgment, I'm sure, is a apt judgment to make, were they living up to the principle or not. But in looking in and looking out at the world, I, I really felt that the chiropractic philosophy that birthed chiropractic wasn't being properly communicated, and for some reason it wasn't landing. Not all the students were getting the philosophy at the depth that it can be understood, and part of what we're going to do with this podcast is we're going to work our way through books, through the original books that express what chiropractic philosophy is all about a rediscovering of what is at the heart of chiropractic the why behind what we do and when i started reading stevenson's chiropractic textbook i had this epiphany moment that said oh my gosh what if we had all read this first quarter what if we had all just read the the first part of this book first quarter what impact would that have on people's chiropractic development and journey. And I'm going to let Zach speak to this a little more, but he has this really great caution that he shared with me when I started to express some of what I was feeling where he said, wait a minute, don't just denigrate the things that you don't see as perfect, but find the value in that, right? Find maybe the understanding in why it's going that way. And I know as a student at Life University, there have been many other students who have shared with me a sense of disappointment that the school has behaved the way it has, yet when they sold us on the school, they sold us on the principal. And there seemed to be an incongruency there. And I don't want to actually cast judgment and blame to Life University because, wisely, they are juggling responsibilities that are very big to many people, and maybe they took the most appropriate path they could have. For me, the vision behind this is to acknowledge and to appreciate where Life University is at and to say that there is an opportunity for us students to provide a pathway to the philosophy for one another. Zach, do you want to talk a little bit more on this idea of sanctification?
1: Yeah, and, th- and that is the word that that came to me with all of this. Um, aside, the the word was um, influenced by Dr. Michael Simecka, who is one of many um, very valuable resources in the Atlanta area. Uh, Life University is the world's largest chiropractic school. If something exists in chiropractic, it moves through the region in one form or another. So I just wanted to give a shout out to um, the the doc that has helped me look through a more clear lens and through being more clear, allowed me to see authentic optimism and sanctify the things that appear quote unquote bad and what their value is. And, and where we all are in this continued process of unfoldment to speak really generally. So when it comes to noticing that there is room for growth in, in a parent, I would say, apparent room for growth in something like a large organization, a couple of things are important. One is from a perspective of a student, it's impossible to know all of the pieces at play we, we don't know everything that's happening. We don't know all of the pressures and we can come to know more of them. Uh, we do know that certain things need to be done for um, accreditation and for preparation for boards. And there's different political pressures that are placed in um, the military. Whenever something important, well, I was in the Navy, whenever something important was very important uh, was being stated, Um, they would go out of their way to say, I am not under duress before they would state it, meaning I don't have a gun to my head. Um, And if they didn't say that, you would assume they did. And so this is one of those situations where there is a form of duress um, at any given, you know, at any given moment. And I would say pretty much consistently, there is the looming threat of losing accreditation and there is politics behind that. And so there's fingers on triggers, essentially. And so th- they're balancing. There's a balancing between adhering to vitalistic principles and not getting completely shut down. So there's there's duress, right? Um, and, and we don't know all the variables. So... Institutions inevitably are going to be lagging behind the forefront of discovery in all realms because it's groups of people that are structured and institutionalized for value, for reason, for standardization, for efficiency and teachability and cohesiveness in all of the moving parts that make up that institution. The very, very forefront and deepenings and discoveries are not gonna be implemented immediately. Every process requires time. And by principle, from the perspective of a student, if you are actively deepening and actively discovering, you inevitably will find things that are more valuable than the way that school is teaching it. Do not waste energy getting mad about that. That is inevitable. That is part of the process. It's our job to note that. And as we grow forward, and as we enter the profession, one of two things will happen. Some of the things that we thought that they were doing wrong, we'll realize they were actually doing right, because we ha- will have a greater perspective. And the things that actually were the room for growth, are that becomes our opportunity in the future to implement that to add those changes, to build those new schools that run differently. And so it, it everything has its sanctification and its place, and there's no need to, to waste a lot of energy and frustration and anger. How, how can we keep things compassionate? How can we keep the clarity of communication open? And how can we recognize the value, right? This is about this podcast that you have me on today, thank you. By the way, um, we are both brothers in Delta Sigma Chi, and we are um, decided. He has decided to do this podcast and is going to rotate in other brothers. And it's an honor to be here. and And this podcast is predominantly about philosophy and the discussion of principles. And there is already a lot of quality in philosophy and discussion of principles at school through Dr. Koch and Dr. Thornhill. And that needs to be recognized. And this isn't saying they're doing it wrong. Let us do it right from, you know, we're so green at this. We're not docs yet. We're students. We're in discovery. And we have people who are much further along this path than we are that have a lot of wisdom to share. And so I'd say most important thing is tap into the available resources. Yes, recognize where you think there's room for growth and keep that noted and continue to deepening and discoverings also appreciate what is right in front of us and the resources we have. So that's the sanctification, sanctifying the things that are quote unquote, apparently bad as well, why is it like that? What's the value in knowing why it's like that? And how do we effectively move forward without creating unnecessarily unnecessary division?
0: Yes. Yeah. And I, I really want to follow through on that is that we don't need to add more division in chiropractic. In fact, the whole point of this project is to bridge those gaps in the profession. And one of the things that you and I have had the opportunity to talk about that I hope we had the opportunity to talk about today is that there tends to be two schools of thought in chiropractic. And one of those schools of thought tends to say that there is no value in the chiropractic philosophy, that it is something of a historical aspect that correlates to chiropractic, but it, it has no no bearing on how we do chiropractic today and how we do chiropractic moving forward. And that that's one perspective that sits at one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum would be a highly dogmatic, bordering on religious perspective of the chiropractic philosophy. That it went from God to Didi to the Green Books, or God to B.J. to the Green Books. And, of course, I'm being a little facetious there, but that that makes the point that there is a spectrum of interpretation and a spectrum of what is the value of this philosophy and how is it going to inform our action. What we want to provide is both a grounding in what does the philosophy say, how does the philosophy guide us and answer these questions that we've just put forth, as well as a rejuvenation of the philosophy, a Reiteration, a remembering of the philosophy. Zach, you shared with me earlier that remember means to put back together and that there is this idea that principles, that truth exists outside of their articulation of these truths. And anytime a truth is articulated, it is inevitably a partial representation of that deeper truth because words are inadequate to describe something that is beyond words and much of what we are getting at with chiropractic
1: Mm.
0: is in the realm of metaphysical beyond the physical realm and words are part of the physical realm and thus they will never fully articulate an idea and so that's the dance that I see happening in this podcast is that we're going to be looking at how these principles were articulated in the past, and we are so grateful for all the green books and the other chiropractic philosophy that is out there. And at the same time, so we are remembering in that sense what has been said, and we are remembering, we are re-putting together, we are re-examining and re-articulating those philosophies and those principles um, based on our own experiences and our own present day perspective. And in seeing what value 2021 may have on principles that came from 1900. It's a beautiful time to be alive.
1: There are an increase in quantity and quality of conversation that have to do with big truths, big truths that are self-evident, big truths that are observable, big truths that are experiential that often are so commonplace that they go unnoticed and uncontemplated. Like if I cut my arm, it starts to regrow. If I cut a rock, it doesn't start to regrow there is something guiding the organization of matter and the direction of energy in my body to regrow. To name that in chiropractic, we call that an innate intelligence. And that is what is driving the direction of the energy and the organization of the matter to heal. And in chiropractic we look to see if there are interferences in the ability for that innate intelligence to express through the body, which it does predominantly and exclusively through the nervous system. And so philosophy is stating the obvious, the obvious principles, and it's naming them and in recognizing that they are foundational. And so we don't get lost in the details. Now, inductive reasoning is all about the details of the parts. You, you take all the parts that you can find and get all the details about it, and you try to explain the bigness of something. Deductive reasoning is the bigness is inherently obvious. It's obvious that there is something driving the organization of matter and the direction of energy in living things towards growth, healing, Reproduction, survival, and, and we call that innate intelligence. And that demystifies it. This is, it's not this religious thing that you need to believe. It's naming the obvious. And, and I think it's important for people to realize how simple that is. And how it's not disconnected from the naming and measuring and describing of the parts, which is inductive, which is predominantly what's done and done in, uh, you know, uh, institutionalized sciences. And and they work hand in hand and they're very important. Mm. In chiropractic, clinical, consistent clinical findings, for example, are what actually manifests in the real world. And from the results of the actual manifestations, we can measure things and get better ideas of how that did that and why that did that. You see how the the measuring of the parts can work hand in hand with an understanding of, the general understanding is plants grow towards sun, cut a human arm, it starts to regrow. And it's got this programming of health. And when it's not interfered with, it's better at doing its programming of towards health, towards optimization, towards thriving. Um, So, yeah, like you said, on one end, you can get really religious with philosophy and make it very mystical and, and deify the people who first put the things down into words and then take every word that they say as gospel. And on the other hand, you can say – you can take scientism, rigid dogmatic scientism as a religion and say if we haven't been able to measure it, it doesn't exist. And it's silly to think it does. Both of those are are, are, are limiting belief systems. Mm-hmm. And the balance is to find out how they complement each other, how they work together and when to lead with which one and when to lead with the other one. And when you've got systems that got, that just has more parts than you can measure like the human body – it's best to lead with the principles that are obvious. And I think that's a good kind of big picture zoom in on what principles are, their value, and how they fit in with science.
0: Absolutely. And there's this idea in philosophy, and this is something that I appreciate about you, Zach, is There's philosophy outside of chiropractic philosophy, right? The big umbrella is philosophy. The sub-umbrella is chiropractic philosophy. And in the big umbrella of philosophy, there's this word called a priori. It means before. And you make a priori assumptions or there are a priori principles upon which further thought is Based on that, you need a foundation upon which you say, Now we are going to start to explore, but this is the ground we walk on. And where I hope to see a bridging of the deductive and the inductive, a bridging of the metaphysical and the physical, is in that understanding of relationship and scope of question. So Science is a phenomenal tool of inquiry, right? It is a process of inquiry. That's what the scientific method is. It gives you structure upon which you can ask questions and receive answers. And this is very valuable. Science is predicated a priori on asking questions in the physical realm. They are seeking to observe and to measure experiences that are physical and science has incredible inductive reasoning capacity within that container that it shaped for itself, which the box that science lives in is the physical. Now there is a realm outside of physical called metaphysical above physical outside of physical and the metaphysical realm is one that science is inadequate to inquire into. Not because science is inadequate, but because science in its structure, in, its, in the container that makes science science, is limited in where it can inquire. And it has to stay within the physical to inquire. And for many people in modern society, That's where the line ends is where can science ask questions? And then there is an a priori assumption built into societal thinking that says, if you, if the question can't be measured by science, it's not a question worth asking. It's not even a valid question. And it's certainly not a question that has an answer for thousands and thousands of generations. Our ancestors have known through deductive reasoning, through the noticing and the observing of effects, they deduced there was a cause for that effect. And that cause, as Zach has been saying for us, intelligence, that intelligence precedes organization. If you found a book in the forest, and it was a beautiful narrative, you wouldn't say, wow, that that must've just been a happenstance that this book just came into being. No, you would say, this book has organization. It has a cover and binding and there's sentence structure and then there's paragraph structure and then there's larger ideas that are structured across whole chapters and then the whole book has an arc to it that gives you this understanding. There is Obviously, the expression of intelligence in that physical object called a book. And so, too, we can make this deductive, a priori assumption that there must be intelligence behind the organization and expression of form and matter. And what I find so valuable about chiropractic is that it gives us a vehicle to inquire into the metaphysical as well as the physical. And that's why chiropractic is a science and philosophy because the science allows us to explore the physical and the philosophy gives us the grounding to understand what's happening and it's the grounding upon which the physical questions can then be asked. Zach, anything you you want to say about that? Does that...
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, it's, it's, it's the simplest way to describe the obvious that is occurring. It, you know, putting, putting words on what is consistently always happening. Life forms always are working while they're alive to stay alive. And there are systems in there. They're made to be fragile and to break down and to only be here for a period of time. That's part of it. That's obvi- also obvious. It is a principle, not what chiropractic principle, but it is a truth upon which other truths are built that living things die, the vessels yes. die. And um, while they're alive, it's also a principle that's just observable consistently, immutably, eternally, Living things seek to stay alive. They also seek to evolve. You could say, so a good, a good theory is, has limited numbers of assumptions and explains maximum numbers of things. And so you could say that consciousness exists, which is pretty self-evident. And you could say that it seeks to evolve, which is pretty self-evident. And it doesn't really matter as much the words that you use or the angle that you engage it. What's important is that people see that there are consistently obvious things that are happening and they give labels to them. And those are the obvious truths that are foundational upon which so much else is built. I mean, think about how many things are built off of the concept that we have living bodies that are programmed to heal themselves There's so much in our life, rich, detailed things that are predicated off of that. Yes. And so how foundational is it to have a profession that sees – is able to analyze the complex human body for something as simple as an interference? You know, we have patterns that are created when there's interferences. We're looking for patterns. We're looking for stuckness. And using the least amount of the most effective force – to communicate a corrective intent through touch with congruent focused, focused intent through touch to facilitate a process that begins a process of self-healing, of, of removing interferences. I mean, it's a foundational thing and it's beautiful. And if the profession loses the grasp of the obvious and gets caught in the weeds of the details, then we're going to start chasing back pain and headaches because that's been peer-reviewed. And we're going to get away from the bigness of of what this profession has to offer. It's a gift. It's a very, very, very special gift to the world to have a profession dedicated to analyzing human systems for interference between the brain, spinal cord, and the body back and forth. And using a, an initiation process to begin self-healing. You know, uh, part of, part of, part of the, this whole thing is the body is always working to heal itself. Sometimes it gets stuck and we're able to catch that. I mean, what kind of a gift is this? This is beautiful. If we lose the principles, we lose the gift. Yes. It's way bigger than headaches and back pain. Now, I, I, I'm going to sanctify... Yes. The headache and back pain doctors. There are people in this world that are not ready for any type of chiropractor other than a headache and back pain chiropractor. So the fact that headache and back pain chiropractors exist are going to grab those people. Mm -hmm. I hold high vision that collectively as a species, we all have a tendency through time and generation to evolve. And I think we'll be more about the biggerness, headache back pain yeah that's a small fraction of it we got you on that no worries but we also are going to increase the overall optimization for your essence for your consciousness your soul whatever you're comfortable calling it to fully express itself through your body it it gets bigger and the
0: principles are what keep it grounded in the bigness absolutely I I couldn't agree more with that Zach um I there's a couple things there, and there's a passage from the chiropractic textbook that touches on what we were just saying, uh, and I want to read that in just a second. But you not only brought up the value of the philosophy for guiding our action as chiropractors, it's also essential for the people receiving chiropractic care. And you, I want to challenge something you said. You said there are some people who aren't ready for the bigness, right? Um, I think that's true. there, there are many people who the stage of the stage that they're at when they come to you is very physical. They have not slept for three months consistently because of this headache. And that's a problem. And they are very unlikely to reach any higher level of spiritual development or psychological development or even physical development if they are having that fire alarm ringing so loud. and they need to go through some evolution like you said in order to even be able to in a meaningful way entertain those deeper thoughts because for them there's a very pressing matter right now if your house is on fire your house is on fire and you don't care that your taxes are due in two months that's that's not a big deal and in a similar way many people are stuck in a very physical state and what is beautiful about chiropractic philosophy is it guides us as the chiropractor, and it gives us something beautiful to help guide our practice members too, and that as they start to have symptom relief, as all of a sudden the body starts to be freed of some of these interferences, the most pressing problems start to fade away, and now all of a sudden this person can be invited to see a higher level of function, and First, you can see deeper levels of function in the body. Not only do you not have a problem, right, that headache, but now you realize, wait, my digestion has gotten better. My sleep has gotten better. So those are physical functional gains. And all of a sudden, then the next jump over is to realize that there are psychological mental developments that can happen. And all of a sudden they realize, wait, I'm less mean and crabby to my children, Wow. I started making passionate love to my wife again. I started having just more energy and enjoyment and feeling brighter and happier. Those are some mental, emotional changes that start to happen. And then the highest level is they might start to realize I started praying. I started having a a relationship with my creator in a way that I was closed down to over the past 20 years. And that's what, to me, the philosophy is so beautiful for is that it says meet everybody where they're at and provide a pathway to all of that. And it gives us the big picture to look at, but it gives us the understanding, wait, they, they have something very physical going on. And to hold space for that and to, and to love them and to help facilitate their healing at that level, there's no. there's nothing small about that. Well, I want to give us a a little passage, and it, it loops back to something you were saying there, Zach. This is from Article 8 of the Introduction to the Chiropractic textbook written by Stevenson in 1927. So, Article 8 is on Roman numeral 16 of the introduction. Chiropractic is a deductive science. The deductions are based upon a major premise that life is intelligent, that there is an intelligent creator who created matter, attends to its existence, and gives to it all that it has. Many of the deductions are now proven facts because of thousands of clinical findings supporting them and thousands of observations of the laws of this intelligence. The theories and hypotheses of chiropractic are based upon these proven deductions, which render them plausible and nearly every year Some of these theories become proven as solid facts of science. That, Zach, I wonder what you think about. To me, that seems to resonate, that we have these major principles that guide us, right? The major premise, and then the sub-principles that correspond and flush out that major premise, And some of those things, like we said earlier, the metaphysical might not be able to be in totality measured by the inductive process. However, and this is a place we've had conversation on laboratory versus clinic in what we might find different in both of those. And I'd love for you to flesh those out for us in a moment is what is the the interplay between the deductive and the inductive, between the clinical and the laboratory, and how are we actually a hundred years after this text was written, are we getting closer to seeing a marrying of the deductive and inductive conclusions?
1: Hmm. Yes, we are. To answer the question, yes, we are. The reason we are, as was stated here, The more time goes by, the more collective evidence that comes in that supports the major premise and the first principles of chiropractic. Clinical settings are actual reality. It's not isolated variables. It's how is this in actual reality with all variables, known and unknown. And in reality, there will always be unknown variables because there's always more to discover. There's always more to deepen. And so results of consistent clinical results that continue to show again and again and again are showing us that there is something consistent behind them. And this is how we get evidence of our principles. Peer-reviewed research sometimes includes consistent clinical results and case studies and different um, ways to engage that. A lot of times it's isolating things. And so I think it's important to realize that science is not limited to the inductive isolations. Evidence is evidence. And consistent clinical findings is very strong evidence. So I think that's important to say. So laboratory would be a, you have a limited number of variables and you have a you know uh, understanding of the variables and you're manipulating things and and you're able to get in valuable information from that. Clinical setting is you have what you know and you're engaging something and you're seeing the outcome and then you're analyzing. You're saying well based on what I. The, the limited amount I knew and what we did and what happened, how is that match? Are we, is there, is it giving me clues of more things for me to go and discover? So it's, it's, it's always evolving, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So they, they, they're both important and they need to work together. And the evidence-based chiropractors would benefit greatly from understanding the value of, the evidence of consistent clinical findings and how that grounds us and further verifies our principles. Namely that there is an intelligence in the body that is constantly working to heal that body, to optimize that body. And if we remove interferences in, if we facilitate the body's removal of its own interferences, which is really what's happening, then It allows the body to heal better, to perform better, to function better, to recover better. And that's so foundational that so many seemingly, you know, yet to be studied in peer-reviewed things are accomplished. You know, things that have, you know, are just now being studied or have never been studied that can be accomplished through chiropractic because you're foundationally uh, enhancing the optimization by removing interferences. And um, there are schools that are, you know, taught like, oh, well, let's look. Okay. The first time the word subluxation was used was in this medical setting. And so we're going to go with this definition and use that definition to say why it's not applicable to chiropractic. Well, that's silly. Do you know how many words have multiple definitions? It's very important when having a conversation and conveying meaning to define your term. You know, when we talk about a a uh, uh, vertebral subluxation and and subluxation in general, or more the the newer terminology of a, a globally dynamic subluxated system with multiple subluxation focal points. To get even more specific with emerging awarenesses, but whatever you're talking, if it's a chiropractic re- related and you're talking about subluxation, you are talking about an interference between the central nervous system and the body in the communication to and from. That's what you're talking about, you know. The majority of the central nervous system is going to be exiting out of the vertebras. so that's a critical part. I mean, chiropractic was founded on that. Um, it, it, there's more, but it's but but the conversation I've had with somebody from one of those schools was, you know, he was saying, "Oh, subluxation, that you know, that's just an old thing from history." And I said, "Do you think it's possible for there to be interferences in the communication between the brain, spinal cord, and the body?" He said, "Yeah." I said would it be nice to name that? And he's like, so you don't have to say the sentence every time? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, it was called, it, it's been named. It's called a subluxation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what did he say to that? He was like,
1: okay, okay. Well, we're good friends, and he's very open-minded. Now, uh, He went to a very medical chiropractic school. He said, okay, I can get behind that. Mm. So you see the shift there. Yes. So defining terms and stating the obvious of what principles are. Yes. You cut an arm, it starts to grow back. You cut a rock, it doesn't. What is guiding the energy? What is organizing the matter? Mm. Can we name that? Mm.
0: Okay. Well, I, I love what you're doing there. You're demystifying what, and, and this was where we were going in the beginning of, there were people who took it too far, who made observations of immutable, laws of nature, those principles, they, they took those too far and they dogmatized them. They, they made them rigid. They made them, um, which made them unpalatable and yeah. Can I jump in real quick? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Principles are, if a principle is actually a principle, a truth upon which other truths are built, it never changes. We don't, we're not evolving principles. You might have a new discovery and decide, well, I used to think that was a principle and it's no longer. But it, but, but then it's going to be agreed upon because it's going to be obvious. Right. It's going to be an obvious thing. Uh, the dogmatism in philosophy, it was bringing in things outside of principles. It was saying this person had good discussion on principles, so everything they say is gospel. Protocol is an application of principle. Protocols change through time. We evolve our protocols because through discoveries and deepenings, we become more efficient at applying the principles. And so I think part of the dogmatism was sticking to protocols of the past that was, that was put out in green books. And now I'm not saying they're not right. And I'm not saying, or anything like that. Um, I'm not making that, an, I'm a student. And I'm not making that assessment. I'm simply saying protocols can change. If a principle, a principle, it doesn't change. So the dogmatism comes more so from saying, everything that was said by this person who has a good discussion on the principles is gospel. And another, another layer to that is in the realm of principles, test it, begin to look for it. And it's not hard you know you look at a tree grow towards the sun you see your hand is healing when you cut it but but begin to become aware of it deepen your awareness of it don't just say well this is this cuz this person said it or it's written in this book it's it's the books aren't biblical or religious these are human beings that and stevenson did a great job but these are people who put into good words to best convey the bigness and the meaning of these foundational truths. Not a religion. Doesn't need to be a religion. You don't need to believe it. You just need to experience it and observe it. And learn how to work with it and apply it.
0: Mm. Learn how to work with it and apply it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what what this is all about is helping us ground our actions right and how do we how do we develop as chiropractors what are we what is our intent when we adjust for me understanding the principles understanding chiropractic philosophy has allowed me to embrace a bigness that goes so far beyond the relief of a symptom. That, as you said, when you have the bigness of the idea, when you realize this is a self-healing, self-organizing system that has intelligence that is animating it and guiding it and directing the adaptation, that when we understand that and we realize we can facilitate Through our behavior, we can facilitate a clearing of interference that now that body has the chance to adapt more optimally. It has the chance for a more full expression. And that allows you to adjust that person who might have a migraine that day. And certainly, part of our intent is for that person to function better. Right, And part of function is feeling. So we're, we're certainly expecting that as they get adjusted and that those physical experiences will diminish of, of difficulty and lack of function of pain because we're recognizing that oftentimes those symptoms are downstream of interference. And when we look out at the bigness of what could happen when they have full expression of life, That makes the adjustment much more exciting and brings much more potential to that adjustment. That you could facilitate something far beyond the relief of a symptom. You could facilitate within them an awakening of the fullness of their expression. And as a chiropractic student, and I'll be honest with you, who has struggled and still struggles to deliver adjustments that I think are as clean and deep and as powerful as some of the masters that I've trained with and watched the doctors provide, as a person who struggles with that, who says, I, I want to be able to deliver a profound adjustment to people. It, the philosophy in conjunction with my artistry gives me the ability to continue to train Because it tells me that I don't have to necessarily provide the most perfect artful adjustment possible to make that deep, profound change in the person that I'm adjusting. It gives me the confidence, and I believe it was Sid Williams who said, it is the philosophy that gives us authority. And so the philosophy gives us authority as students, or doctors, whoever's listening right now, it gives us the authority... To adjust that person even if we don't know the perfect adjustment to give we we don't necessarily have the full internal um confidence that we are giving the perfect adjustment the philosophy gives us an authority that the process of being connected with that person and providing an adjustment that is facilitating healing within it's not us giving them a healing experience it's not us giving them the ingredients to heal it's us facilitating within them that stirring of their innate intelligence that is going to guide their adaptation and healing and expression when they're free of interference and it frees us from the responsibility of i need to make this the perfect adjustment Yes, we're always striving towards more beautiful artistry. Of course, that should be the goal. And one day we'll be able to provide an even better adjustment than we can today. However, we don't have to say that what we have right now is inadequate because the philosophy gives us the power to say, even a first quarter student who is grounded down, centered, and focused on the intent of the major principle. They can deliver a life-changing adjustment to that person, even if it's not as artful as it could have been. And that philosophy empowers us, and to, for me, has given me the confidence to keep going through the training and the adjusting, even when I feel like, oh my gosh, there's still so much more of this mountain for me to climb. What do you make of that, Zach? Does any of that ring true for you? All of it, brother. Yeah, it's, it's an infinite
1: deepening, you know? And, and that's the beautiful part about it is we're dealing with intelligence. Intelligence gives direction to energy and organization to matter. And the body is very adaptive. And if we have focused intent and we deliver a um, – force application congruent with that focused intent, the body is going to use it constructively. You, you, you just need some basic awarenesses. Now I'm, I'm saying people need to go through the education. Mm-hmm. They need to get the educated mind right. They need to go through the, the processes, you know? I mean, that's why we have such a long school period, but to shed a lot of that anxiety and a lot of that fear, you're dealing with a very intelligent system that can turn some seemingly net negative things into very net positive stuff. And when you're coming at it with very, very focused intent and you're congruent with your action, the body's going to use that. So even in the learning processes, we're giving a lot of quality care to people. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is it never ends. The deepening continues and continues. We'll be 70 years into practice, still deepening in our art Right? by applying the principles. And it's, it's the principles that, you know, really ground us we, so that we know that we're not fixing something. It's not event-oriented. When you're dealing with machinery that doesn't have an innate intelligence, you fix it. It's an event But when you're dealing with something that is complex with an innate intelligence for growth, survival, self-organization, adaptation, you're enticing it, you're initiating a process and that's really cool. And it gives you passion and it helps you stay on purpose. And when you have passion and you're on purpose, you're landed in the present moment. And when you have passion and purpose and you're in the present moment and you deliver an adjustment, it's that much more powerful. That's the bigness of
0: the principles. (laughs) Yummy. I like that, Zach. Um, And I think this is a great place to end it. Uh, Is there anything else you wanted to share?
1: Uh, No, I think we covered a good this being the premiere episode. And thank you for having me. Mm. I I, I know there's going to be a a delicious rotation of brilliant minds from Delta Sigma Chi coming through this podcast. I look forward to hearing them all, and I can't wait to be back on. This was very enriching. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
0: Zach, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the inaugural episode. Thank you very much. And for all of you listening at home, thank you for walking this path with us. Uh, Again, I see this as... Us providing a pathway to the philosophy, and I see this as a co-creation, not just with Zach and I, not just with the other folks who will be on the mic, but with you. We are all walking this path together, and um, it's with true humility and appreciation for uh, all of those who are listening right now that I hope to continue to do this uh, exploration with you and alongside you. So thank you for walking the path with us, and we'll be back soon. We love you. We appreciate you. Out.